My name is Tengu. I was born and raised in Hanoi. I am known for uh, being an uh, ultra endurance athlete. I do races that are quite um, challenging, um, races that take up to like a week or two. Uh, I do want to put Vietnam on the map. Vietnamese uh, endurance community is still very small, but uh, it's making an impact in the global arena. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Wonderful. What, what does it mean to be Vietnamese to you? It took me a while because, you know, I was born and raised in Hanoi, um, but then I went to study overseas um, at the age of 13. Uh, so I studied for a little bit in Singapore and then in uh, Canada and then in the UK. And then I also uh, worked uh, for a few years in uh, Singapore after uh, my graduation. Um, so then, you know, I was up until I was like about 24. Um, I spent like uh, 24, 25, like I spent pretty much like uh, a split even 50-50 uh, in Vietnam and overseas. And then I started to have a little bit of identity crisis. And, uh, you know, and, and a lot of even my friends, some of my friends said that um, I'm not very Vietnamese. And then my friends from where I was living, they, I'm not fully from there either. So then um, definitely a little bit of uh, identity crisis there. But uh, after I came back to start doing um, endurance stuff, uh, I really understand more what it means to be Vietnamese. First and foremost, I think it's the grit. I think it runs in the blood. <laughs> and grit is something that helps me through a lot of my endurance challenges, um, but also in life. Um, it always kind of um, propelled me forward uh, always wanting to just try a little bit harder, try a little bit more. I think that's not unique to me. A lot of people think that, oh, if I'm able to do all these braces, it, it, it means that I have like something different, you know, I'm, I'm gifted or something, but that's completely not true. Um, my coach has even said that I'm, my athletic abilities are not like special. <laughs> to be kind, <laughs> um, but uh, I am very determined and gritty. So, uh, and I see that in daily lives, you know, you, you see, um, you've been to Vietnam, you experience the lives here, everyone, you know, wake up at like 4 a.m. in the morning, driving their, uh, shipping their ingredients to, their customers so that they can open for breakfast at like 5.30 or 6. You know, they work very hard, um, always hustling. That's what I love about uh, being in Vietnam, the energy. And yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, I was just going to ask you what the grit that you're referring to, where does that come from? Is it something that, you know, but you kind of touched on it, which is, do you think that it is coming out from the cultural sort of words and out of people's mouths like your family the culture or do you think that what you kind of answered by 
you go on the streets in Vietnam and you see it. You see examples of the determination. Whereas you go into Western countries, and that sort of doesn't exist anymore because of you know, you know, they're just further advanced in the economy and you know standards of living. It's just different, and they're second generation Vietnamese and overseas is just not functioning as people in Vietnam because of the the intensity of the life that they have to go through. Yeah. I definitely think it's it's um part culture and also part um history, right? Um Vietnam generally have um a difficult history uh for thousands of years, not just um through the the French occupation and, and the war with the U.S. But yeah. even before that, you know, it was part of China for not a very long time. And uh, to break away and to become like an independent country with a different language, uh, that takes a lot of grit. That's the spirit of never giving up, you know. And, and in, a, in a country of, you know, close to 100 million people, yeah, life is difficult, Um and everyone sort of like always um, do their best, like the the energy, the not just not just like you know if you have a difficult life then you have to work hard, but also like even with the younger generation they are very talented, um, and they get to expose to um, the world quite more easily now with with technology and everything. So. Um, they take the opportunity to really work hard and yeah. um, propel themselves as well. Um, you see, like, I'm away for two weeks and I come back, like, things have changed. Like, new buildings have popped up, new restaurants, uh, new um, shops have popped up. And, uh, and what I admired the most here is, like, when I came back to Vietnam, right, everyone has, like, two or three jobs. Yeah. like side gigs and constantly hustling, like constantly um, like just kind of find ways to challenge themselves. And I, I think that's, that's absolutely um, just, I'm amazed and I, I really respect that. Yeah. You know, uh, for a lot of the diaspora in the United States, um, people that are my age or younger who haven't been much back to Vietnam, sometimes we have this idea of people in Vietnam and the ideas of the people of Vietnam rarely look and sound like you. And I'm constantly amazed at the amount of people that look like you and sound like you, which this is what I'm saying is that there are people that I ran into 10 years ago, 15 years ago in Vietnam that spoke perfect English, like they had lived overseas, but they never left the country. Um, there's so many. And then for you, I mean, because we've spoken in Vietnamese before, your Vietnamese is perfect northern Vietnamese. It's, it's like <laughs> if people can't imagine that there is sort of this duality that exists in, in Vietnam now where it's like perfect English, perfect Vietnamese. There's no like, there's no fucking around now. You know, people are ex extremely well, uh, you know, able to communicate in both these languages at a very high level. And you're one of the, you know, proof of that. And, you know, I just want to call that out before we move into the athletic stuff. Um, do you find that a lot of your peers 
uh, that exists in the world that that you do, which is perfect English, perfect Vietnamese. Is there a lot of that going on in Vietnam? Like right now, I see that uh, it's, it's an interesting observation because I observe it myself. I experience it myself as well. Um, like uh, um, back then, like maybe 20 years ago, you would only get that duality if the kids go to international school and such, right? And I actually never went to an international school while I was in Vietnam. Um, but yes, I did um, sort of shifted into a, an English system at a fairly young age. So it, it was helpful for me to kind of um, uh, adapt to a new language. But you're right, there are people who are um, a little bit more grown up when they started uh, to work on um, their English or their um, international, um, like their glo uh, there's globalization skills. Uh, I have an, a friend who's an MC, so like master of ceremony, like uh, talk show host. Um, and uh, she started uh, working on her English when I first met her. Um, that was in 2015. And now she's she has perfected it. Um, and I think it, it has, of course, like she has to work very hard. Um, and, you know, she, she also kind of find uh, the necessary exposure, uh, like she would uh, go to events, she would like really put herself out there um, to get the practice, right? Like, like 20 years ago, when I started learning English, a lot of it was in, in like a, a very like um, controlled classroom environment. A lot of it focuses on um, grammar and written English. So you can, you can be really good at written and English and reading uh, comprehension, uh, but when it comes to practicing it, it's, there's like a huge gap. But nowadays, like I feel that um, that's why I love the energy in Vietnam. Like people really uh, push hard to to improve their skills, and you see a lot more um, like people who has never left Vietnam but are so talented, uh, so international, and I, I really admire that. I think. I think that's uh, that's what we we need to encourage. Uh, but yeah, a lot of people of the older generation, um, they sometimes say like, oh, like, oh yeah, because you you get like exposure, you get the opportunity. Um, but no, like I think as long as you work hard at it, yeah, you definitely can can can. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I I can't tell you how many examples of that that I've I've encountered. Um, in the early days, like 10, 15 years ago in Vietnam, like, uh, you know, um, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere in Vietnam. And, you know, it's not, it's not what we think of it in the United States sometimes. So we think like, you know, these people in Vietnam are so far, you know, into the Vietnamese culture that they have no idea what, no, there's people who can speak fluent and probably the vocabulary in English. Sometimes people in Vietnam have more vocabulary than know the people that i know because it's just the amount of reading and the researching and the hard work that they have to do to to be able to compete on an international level outside of vietnam is far more greater than we in america is like competing you know just think about the numbers right like i mean close to 100 million people even just one percent is already a million people so if you're like competing you're like yeah you've got to give it your own uh and that's 
that's what I love. Um, and I think like, um, for me, when I do these kind of like endurance challenges, right, it, it's not, it's not about competing in that 1% or anything or being like in the 0.001% uh, of the people who can do it in the world in Vietnam, but rather I feel like it is a way to expand the arena. Um, for a lot of Vietnamese, maybe they're very talented. They're just so talented and I admire them so much, um, but they could have some sort of insecurity because they, yeah, like, yeah, like they haven't gotten the exposure or they haven't had the opportunity to really step out there. Um, but when there is someone that they know or they can relate to or, uh, or they, they feel like closer um, to their situation, then they can kind of like get the courage to, uh, to go forward. So being the first is not about being the, the best or uh, being the fastest, right? Like the reason why everything I do, I always look if I can be like the first female from Asia or the first Vietnamese or the first female Vietnamese. Because I think um, when someone has opened the way, has paved the way and has proved that something can be done, then people will be more willing to test themselves and to push further. And that's how we can make our marks in the world, right? Um, like when I started um, ultra running, um, that was around 2014, 2015, um, the Vietnamese community in the ultra world was very small. Like you can probably um, count them on your fingers. But now like, uh, we have races that have like thousands and thousands of people wow. and just the communities are amazing. Yeah, like the, the race that we have in South uh, called Vietnam Mountain Marathon. It's just like even like a 42K uh, trail running. It's just thousands of people line up. It's just so exciting and people are more open to ideas. Like um, they are more open to um, new challenges. Like I think there's something quite great about physical challenges it can really replicate life in a compact mm -hmm. and condensed format you go through the highs you go through the lows you go through the doubts you go through the fear um you have the support from the community you make new friends you find strength that you didn't know you have all of those like you can experience that in, in like a marathon or in a um, ultra trail uh, races and I think that's what draw a lot of people to it um, I mean in, in general like I um, like uh, people think like oh if you're able to so what I did in August just now was uh, yeah. can, can, we, can we talk about that can we uh, let's let's put that in context for people to understand like at this point because yeah. um, having the story of what you just did in august mm. like what that event is will give people yeah. context of what like who we're talking to right i mean like the, okay yeah. you want my rap you want my rap sheets yeah. basically yeah and then we can get <laughs> so, into the of how you got into it but let's let's talk yeah. about the accomplishment what that was okay so in august um that was uh what i did was uh call a uh um, ultra triathlon race 
Uh, the distance is the deca continuous format. Um, deca means like 10 times, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 10. So um, it's 10 times the normal Ironman distance. So a normal Ironman distance is uh, 30, uh, 3.8 kilometer swim, uh, 180 kilometer cycle, and uh, 42 um, K run. So okay, can finish we, off with a marathon. Down right? in, in miles. It's a 20.2 oh. mile run, which yeah. is deadly because that is <laughs> no joke, right? So yeah, we're yeah, talking 26.2 yeah. times 10. That's 260 mile run, right? Yeah. And then 200, 262 miles run. Yeah. 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 Let's yeah. not forget the two miles. Yeah. Once yeah. you go, <laughs> 0.2, it, it goes to. Uh, a, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you go uh, 3.2 kilometers, which is a mile. Is that a mile swim? I know that like Ironman in miles is 140.6 miles in total. So like the total distance. Uh, the swim 3.8. So that's like a little more than two miles, I think. Uh, and then the cycle leg is uh, 1,800 kilometer. Uh, so that is what? Oh my God, that's, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. By 10, yeah. Now, now, just to put into context for people who are listening, um, Ironman comp competitions are brutal. Uh, I've, I've ran nine marathons, and the marathons are, they, they, take, they take a lot out of you to train for them and to do them. And, but when you throw swimming and cycling in, it's, a, it's another beast. But then you take that all and you multiply that by 10 that's what's like mind bending for me it's like uh you know so that so that's crazy uh that's just some crazy grit right there and how long do you have to complete a deca so a deca continuous format so there's also like the one per day format meaning you do one ironman distance a day for like 10 days in a row uh, but the, the format that I did was continuous. So you have to finish like all the distance and the swim first before you move to the cycling and then you move to the running. So honestly, like I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm still very, very new to the world of triathlon. Uh, I've been doing endurance stuff for a while, but mostly in running and trails and stuff. Um, but triathlon is something super new to me. And this is actually my I actually have never done an Ironman, <laughs> but uh, so, so yeah, when I sign up for, for the DECA, it, it, it's like, you know, half of me is like, yeah, you've done a lot of endurance stuff. Like you've got this, um, you are like an endurance athlete. Um, so, uh, you know, you just break it down into smaller chunks. You, you'll be fine. Um, but the other half is like, what the fuck am I thinking? Like, who do you think I am? Like, uh, but, well, wait, 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 but, wait. But, but if you break it down to smaller chunks, I mean, okay. Even if you break it down to smaller, okay. Because even if you break it down to smaller chunks, you're still doing a whole triathlon. And the next day you have to do a whole, you know, it's still a lot. And the thing is like, it, it's very interesting uh, how the mind works. I, I also learn a lot uh, with, with this experience as well. Right. Like, Okay, so when I, the, the 38K swim, right, I, 
that's that's long that's a long time in the water man <laughs> and and because all of these ultra triathlon races have to because they are so long everything are like in loops so they can control and they can like watch you and it's uh it's also a lot of safety issues mm-hmm. um uh, in an iron man it can the it can be out in the open water or it can also the the bike course and the run course can be long but because when it goes so long like they can't block the road for like two weeks right so mm-hmm. uh so they would have to do it in loops and so i did the swim in the 15 meters pool uh, along with like 23 other competitors and uh so the and then the bike ride is um nine kilometer loops and then the run is um 1.2 kilometer uh, loop so it's less than a mile and so for the biking uh, section uh, segment we did um 200 laps uh, for the run it's uh, 346 laps so for me when like a few years ago right someone wanted to invite me to a marathon that has two loops so basically the marathon is a double loop of the half marathon I was like, I have no interest in that, like zero. I do like a lot of these things because I want to see the the place, like experience. Like, you know, when I did, uh, when, when, when I ran uh, New York, it was like a great way to see, you know, the fibers and, and, and experience the life, like the people there and things like that. But um, like running like double loop somewhere, just gives me like no interest but when I sign up for this goal it was just so incredibly like big and difficult that like anything else like all these little um like mind blocks became like very trivial and uh of course like you know it it's also another thing that I can be the first female from Asia I can be the first uh a female from Vietnam I can be I'm actually the first um, Vietnamese to do this, but I like to highlight the female um, bits because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, um, especially from the Asian culture, uh, female representation in sports or in, in fields are um, a little bit different. Um, I still kind of looked at as like, why, you know, like, why are you torturing yourself? Like, you should aim for like a nice comfy life and things like that. And my way of living is that like, you know, you, it's about choices. I don't like, I, I think like, I'm not saying like, you know, um, everyone needs to be this way or that way. I think that the most important thing to help women like be the best that they can be is to provide them with all the choices and they feel that they are supported in whatever they want to do. Um, like if they want to be a lawyer working like a hundred hours a week, or if they want to be a super successful, like entrepreneur who like never have like a, a like personal life or, or like a housewife who like raise like amazing kids, like all of those that, you know, to them, they're great. Like from the outside looking in, we, we tend to have a lot of judgment. We, we tend to say like, oh, that's too much. That's not good. That's not healthy, blah, blah, blah. 
I think what I do is not healthy either. Uh, <laughs> but um, but but you were single handedly destroying this idea uh, of like ya chung or chung chu batoi, right? Like you're you're breaking the spelling. Right, of course. Yeah. But but well, what modern what modern Vietnamese woman should take that or you know that that's that's a uh, an out. Well, I, like they, they want to marry rich and get taken care of. That's up to them. Like let let them decide. Like you know, like men shouldn't decide for them. Women, other women shouldn't decide for them. Like it's like I, I'm not like I'm not like men hating or saying like no, oh no. like uh no. or like the Patrick. I can never pronounce patriarchy. that. Patriarchy. Patriarchy. Yeah, yeah. patriarchy. Yeah, patriarchy. Um, like, I, I'm not like, you know, bashing on it, patriarchy yeah. or whatever. It's, it's, it's about choices, it's about support. It's about choices. Yes. Um, men who support women, like to pursue what they want. That's amazing. I, I've know I've known housewives who've done the races I've done and, uh, get the full support from, from, from their spouse. And I think like that's so great, you know. That's beautiful. That's a great life. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's tough, by the way, to be married to someone who, uh, or like to to be in a relationship with someone who who um who want to do these kind of challenges. And you know, it's it's again like anything you want to do, um, with like your whole heart and mind. Is difficult, like whether it's your job or like a hobby or your passion project. I think like it's it it can be consuming and obsessive in a way. So if you find like a strong support system, it's it's very um, it's very good. Yeah. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Now, now when you're doing these loops um, on the DECA, what, what are you doing to occupy your mind, your brain space? Because you can't focus or you got to get your mind off the pain and off the just the routine. Just you have to like distract yourself somehow or or do you put on music or do you really just embrace the pain and the boring aspect? Well, what goes on mechanically in your brain? So like before, right? Like when I started, um, I mean, a long time ago, uh, in 2014, when I did my first ultra, which was like a hundred kilometer, 
um, I was like, oh, I need music. I was like looking to like like get many um, charger or play, like music um, mm, uh, player and things uh, to make sure that I have music through the entire yeah. uh, run. Um, and then, but then I think around 70K or something, like everything died. And, but then at that point, um, it didn't matter. I was just like, I want to finish. Like, I, I, I feel like if I can do this, I can do anything. And that thought just kind of keep me going. And from then on, strangely, I didn't need to, to, to listen to music anymore. Like, I mean, sometimes I would, but uh, it's actually really good to kind of just be present uh, with the moment and things like that. Mm. During the, like, I did many desert races um, before as well. So like multi-stage, uh, very long races is like uh, out in the desert. So of course, like no electricity, like uh, no running water, you know, water uh, supply is extremely limited every day. So then, um, you know, like some people bring, still try to bring small like mp3 players um or charger uh and i just want to cut all the unnecessary weight but i also didn't need to kind of listen to music anymore because i would think about like oh like you know the scenery is so beautiful or these people are amazing or like you know i'm just having like conversation with myself in my head um, and get very philosophical out there when you're like running alone you know, under like thousands of stars and things like that. But with this DECA, I think I also kind of mature a little bit in terms of like uh, uh, my ability to focus. Um, so the DECA is, um, the ultra triathlon is also very different from, from um, the other races that I've done. It's held in a town called Boots in Switzerland, right? So it's still like in a town, it's still like in an area that's very accessible to all the like luxury of normal life. So we still have electricity, we still have like water facilities, all that good stuff. Um, so we can listen to as much music or have as much like um, electronics as we desire. But um, for me, um, what I appreciate is that I can use the Theragun as I needed. Um, but I also didn't listen to music. I think I mature in the sense that I was able to focus on just like, the road, um, like how my posture is, my position, uh, are my stride or are my hips balanced? Like when I'm running, like is my, is my posture, um, good enough like to prevent like any oncoming um income like any potential injuries mm -hmm. uh yeah so um uh, because the distance is so long and that's like the longest um race i've done it's spanned over close to two um two weeks took me 328 hours 27 minutes and 55 seconds to finish so that's over 13 days um, so you need to be able to prevent any injuries um, to finish. Like once you already kind of, once you already get the hang of things, right? You almost like 
can maintain and sustain yourself. Just think of it as like a, a, a car. Like if you constantly, um, even if you have very little gas, but you constantly put in more gas at the right level, you can still keep driving. Uh, the danger comes when it's like completely mm-hmm. out of gas and restarting is super difficult. So like in my mind, I kind of applied the same principle. Um, just keep drinking, keep eating uh, at the right interval, um, take care of the problems before it becomes a problem. Um, so I'm very, I'm quite careful like that. Um, so, you know, throughout like the whole 422 kilometers, I think my mind was just kind of like thinking about, uh, okay, so this road is actually not very flat. It has like a slight uh, um, tilt um, and I need to place my foot here, here and here. Um, how's my stride? Are my arms relaxed? Things like that. Um, yeah, so it's very different from the thoughts I, that I would sometimes have in the desert, like in the desert or like in, in the um, Arctic Circle. I'd be like, oh, like how lucky am I to be running under mm-hmm. like the aurora? Uh, how many chances, even though I was like freezing to death, I was like, this is so freaking cold. Um, I underpacked for, for how cold it's going to be. I thought it was going to be. My friends did it the years before and they were like, oh, it's only like negative 16, negative 17, but strong wind. So I was packing for that, but it dropped to like negative 30, negative 35. And I was like a frozen popsicle. And some part of it was very miserable. Um, my toes were all like, um, yeah, it, I, I don't have good circulation in my uh, extremities. So um for me, um, that was a little bit uncomfortable, but, you know, I, I got to have thoughts like, oh yeah, like how many people get to do this? You know, how many people get to safely do this? And um, in an organized race, like just loving the Aurora, like people would be able to see it for maybe like a few hours, you know, or like a few minutes. Uh, I get to run under it for hours on end. So it's, <laughs> it's not too bad, right? Um, so things like that keep me going, just little funny thoughts like that. Um, but in the deck, I feel like I, I also mature a little bit in terms of the athletic ability to focus because all I want, like all I care about is to get to the finished line. Um, it is still to think back I'm like, now that I've done it, I'm, I'm more calm when I think about the distance and, and whatnot. But before that, I was like, oh my God, what the hell? Like 38 kilometers, like, okay, I have to, um, the time limit for the swim lake is 27 hours. So I'm like, okay, I have a day to finish the swim. It's, it's okay, I can do it. I have practice and long swim to practice and I'm within that time limit, no problem. Um, there's issues like the, the cold water and the rain, all that, um, but nothing that you can't deal with. But then like the, the, the cycle leg was like something I've never done before. Uh, so long, 1800 kilometer. And I, in my head, I was like, okay, just break it down. Uh, so say I, I do it in, in like nine days and it's 200 kilometer a day. That's not so bad. Okay. But nine days only leave me with like four days to run 
you know, 10 marathons. So that's a little bit tight, you know? Mm. So I need to, I need to compress it down. Okay. So I arrive at a more reasonable um, distance, which is about 237 kilometer a day. So I can finish it in like uh, um, just over six day, close to seven days. And then, then I would have much more time. Like I'm, I'm not, and then I'll like, if I can put my feet on the ground, I can definitely finish the run. Uh, but then, you know, the rain came and it was terrible. It was like raining for like 24 hours one day. And it was so cold. It was right next to the Rhine River. So like, felt like someone was like splashing uh, like ice buckets, uh, like for, for hours. And, and, you know, like anything, even if the weather wasn't that bad, but like when you were like out there for so long, everything just like Compound. uh, compounded. Yeah, it felt so much worse. Probably like if someone just do like uh, one um, Iron Man distance there, they probably like oh, it was like chill. But uh, yeah, it was so crazy. I was like, at one point, I, I changed into my wetsuit because everything was just so wet, like nothing was drying. Uh, in time and I was just cycling in, in the wetsuit and it was just so uncomfortable so slippery and everything and instead of doing 30 laps a day which is you know nine kilometer per lap instead of getting to 30 laps a day I got three laps in that day wow uh, like three laps like uh, it was already like two or three in the afternoon I got three laps in I was freaking out I was kind of like oh my god I'm not going to be able to finish like um, if this keep happening, like I would have to keep making up more laps in the following days. And there's just no way I'll be able to do this. And I was like crying, bawling my eyes out and just like, like, what do I do? Um, and then, but you know, like, that's the thing about being like able to cry it out. Like you're, I guess, like once your emotions get processed, your mind become a lot clearer. And then I was like, okay, all right. So if the weather's bad, I'm just going to flip my clock. I'm not going to follow the, you know, like try to get as much done during the day and then sleep at night. I'm just going to swap my clock uh, to adapt it to um, the weather. I'm going to sleep when it rains the hardest. And then uh, when it's better, like at night, like, uh, like uh, at night, the, it's much easier to cycle. The wind dies, even though it's a little colder but it's, it's not windy. It's a, a huge plus. Uh, yeah. So I cycle through the night, like I slept like, at, like around early morning or at noon, little naps. Um, so yeah, I finished the, the cycle legs in about seven and a half days. Um, and then, so that leaves me with about five days to finish the run, which is very manageable for me at that point. Ten, um, so yeah. 10 marathons in five days. Yeah. Yeah, so I just keep thinking, oh, like I'm an ultra runner. Like that's my that's my strong suit, that's right? That's my background. I was so miserable during the cycling leg that I promised myself no matter what happens when it comes to the run leg, I will not complain. Mm. And people commented on that too. It's like, dang, like you look completely different when you cycle and when you run. Like when you run, you're like so happy. You cycle like your phases, yeah. just like oh, get me out of here. 
Yeah, I just. How much sleep are you getting every day? So it's a little bit different every day, um, but uh, so the first day, like no sleep, because uh, it's you only have twenty seven hours, and I'm I'm a slow swimmer. Uh, a lot of people like the there was like really incredible. Like, just you know, like people in Vietnam when they heard about this achievement, they're like, "Oh my god, you're like the superhuman! You're like out of this world!" Blah blah blah. And I was like, when I'm there, I feel like, well, when I'm there, I'm I'm, I'm so far from like the first guy, the first male athlete. They finish like in over eight days. I think it's like an hour and eighty, uh, one hundred and eighty-two hours something. So. He was like all recovered and all good, and I'm still cycling. And <laughs> so, so funny. Um, there's a guy who uh, finished the DECA, so he came second in the DECA, and then he rests for like a day, and then he immediately after that went for the quintuple, which is five Ironmen, um, one a day. <laughs> So within that 14 days, he finished he finished 15 Ironman distance equivalent. Yeah, I like I you know I I I made it through 10 and I feel so proud. <laughs> but yeah, uh, he's incredible, just amazing. And and they're all very normal people, you know. Like people think that oh these guys need to be like super athlete or like cover of GQ magazine and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, maybe there's like one or two people who are like that, but the ultra triathlon community is still so new and so niche that like like no one is really like um uh a professional you know uh semi-professional at best uh yeah maybe one or two or three or just very few the rest of the rest are like more like me like we have full-time jobs and also i have like a lot of them have families yeah. I don't know how they do it, but uh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, that guy who did 15 uh, Ironman distance equivalent, he has like a six-year-old daughter as well, who he really spent a lot of time with. Um, he's like, she would, like his wife would come to support uh, like sort of, you know, the logistics and, and whatnot. And, and um, yeah, the kid are there. And even though like, you know, after so many hours, and so many kilometers he um, went through that day. He still like spent time with his daughter playing, uh, putting her to bed. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's kind of like the life like I want, you know, I, I, I don't want to be a professional um, athlete or I don't want to be just an athlete. You know, I, I do want to put more meaning into my life with, different things and uh i i always get so inspired doing these um kind of challenges um personal challenge is one thing you know paving the way is great um but also to really be inspired and to kind of retell the tales as well so there are four women who participated in the race um to finish and the other woman who finished is a 60 year old french lady 
who is a former um, breast cancer um, patient. Right. Hmm. Yeah, she's a cancer survivor. So, and she only started uh, after uh, she got diagnosed and get treated, and she was already in her fifties. Now, in terms of like a team that supports you out there, is there like a team that you have to have out there to take care of logistics and food and whatever for you by your side while you're doing the race? Well, um, the you can have um, you have you can have crew um, if you want. Um, most people have different level of support Mm -hmm. um so for me i was also freaking out because i was like who would spend you know like two weeks helping me like like they like all my friends and everyone like they are amazing but they all have jobs and responsibilities in life It it was very difficult and i was freaking out but i was very lucky um within the ultra running community um we're also like very tight knit and uh, uh, very supportive of each other. And I was very lucky that one of my friends were on his way to another race. Um, and he actually supported me for the first seven days. Um, so the support comes in the form of like, you know, um, sort of just all the behind the scene stuff, like, uh, getting the nutrition ready and stuff. Of course, you can do it by yourself, but every minute it's kind of add up, you know? Like, you see, like, imagine if I'm running, like, 200 laps. Every laps, mm-hmm. I need to spend, like, a few minutes to, to, to do things, and it adds up and it eats into my recovery time and my sleeping time, which is super important in these things. Um, and so, you know, if you have someone to kind of just help you, uh, arrange, like make all the drinks, like, you know, mix protein powder, uh, mix the electrolyte, get the salt pills ready and just be right. out there and you can just go by and grab them. You don't have to stop and like refill the bottle and things like that. Um, and of course you also have like really high, uh, performance athlete, um, like, uh, they would have like a five people, a five person crew or like a nine person crew with like RV camping out and things like that because they are very high performance. Um, every, like, every, like for me, every minute count for them, every seconds count, right? So, um, yeah, you can get uh, support at different levels and uh, uh, whatever you can arrange. Like um, most people just family members because, that's mm. where you can like <laughs> you, you can get that unconditional love yeah did, did <laughs> your did your parents come out for it i never tell my parents like <laughs> until i finish wow. because uh, yeah because you know like my parents get worried um uh they they're more used to it now um but uh like in the deserts and stuff like that like you know they they get there's no it's not easy communication. So you're away, you are MIA for like a week or 10 days and uh, they get very worried. So I'm, I'm generally just kind of tell them like, oh, afterward, mm-hmm. or sometimes they read it in the newspaper or or like someone tells them that they heard about it or read about it. I, I have two 
I have two questions. Uh, we're coming up on an hour here, and um, it went by very quick because there's so many things I want to ask you. But what's next for you? What what kind of challenge, if it's not ultra or athletic, do you think that there's another thing in store for you? Because you're a fairly young person. Uh, is there something like in like music or art or you know writing a book or? What, what what's next what's the next challenge is there a next challenge or are you gonna keep uh, going on this road of um ultra endurance uh, sports yeah i mean look at look at nadine right look at the the lady who's 60 year old and still doing these things like i'm definitely aiming for that like i want to be in, well into like my advanced age and still knocking down these races because i i really enjoy them um, I think like they they give me a lot of really enriching experience uh, to become a better person, um, and also like the experience that I get and the stories and things that I can witness, I can really retell that and inspire more people to um, to to make their mark in the world. And um, yeah, definitely a lot of people think that oh, like this is the the DECA was like my highest achievement. So so it was the world championship. So, and I finished first. So I am now the female world champion in, in the DECA continuous distance. Um, so people think like, oh, that, is that it? Like, you're gonna like calm down now? <laughs> but honestly, like it was a bonus that I want. Uh, all I wanted to do when I signed up was to, um, break myself into um, a new field you know I, I want to get myself more acquainted with like uh, with the environment um, get like get into like a new communities as well really interesting people um, but for sure it's not going to be the last uh, races my motto is always like um, be the best version of yourself and that the best version of this year it's not going to be the same as the best version yeah. of next year and the year after that. So um, it's always moving upward like that. Um, so definitely double DECA, which is double the distance, is not out of the question. Um, I also have friends who, uh, because I've done multi-stages uh, that are, you know, um, 250 kilometers, 522 kilometers, and, uh, you know, 500 kilometer continuous format is also not out of the questions. Uh, also, I have a friend who's trying to get me to think about a thousand kilometer run. Um, so those are not out of the questions, but uh, what I think where I'm actually need to really step up is to connect um, these endurance challenges with things that can give values to the community. So um, I have, uh, I'm very lucky that I have really good mentors and they always kind of find ways to challenge me. Um, I think my next biggest challenge um, that I'm really scared about, like I'm not scared about, you know, the 500K race or the 1,000 uh, kilometer race as much as I'm like worrying about this one, this is like where I would cycle across the country through like the 28 provinces uh, in Vietnam, 
28 coastal provinces in Vietnam to uh, raise awareness in terms of um, circular economy of plastic pollution and how we need to change our behavior. Uh, that change in behavior is really important. I think like stopping at raising awareness is a little uh, lacking at the moment. We're not like, it's not 20 years ago where we can say, yeah, like uh, be aware and whatnot. Like now is the time to change behavior and to act. So uh, the uh, initiative is to actually uh, get people to start um, recycle, uh, to sort their garbage correctly and recycle. So like in Europe, they have done a great job of it. And even that they're doing such a good job, like climate change is still going to be a huge problem for all the European countries. Um, Vietnam is one of the six Southeast Asia uh, countries that produce like more plastic pollution, more than the uh, 20-something European countries combined. Wow. Yeah, so... Mm-hmm. And and I worked for a beverage company, right? And uh, it's uh, one of the big three in Vietnam, a uh, very successful Vietnamese company. And we are also thinking about like, yes, we need to recycle. We have a lot of, um, uh, we definitely like can, um, we need, to, we need to, 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 to be part of the circular economy. Um, plastic is only waste if we um, don't um, we don't sort correctly, we don't um, collect them, and we don't recycle them. If we can bring it back as like raw ingredients for something else to make like mm. even this table that I'm sitting at, right? Like it's it's wood mixed with plastic. Um, you see clothing made from. Uh, from uh, plastic flakes as well well that can depending on how you make it that can cause some problems but like luggages like things like there's so many things that you can actually uh, recycle um, and but at a national scale it needs to happen very quickly and a lot of people think that oh yeah climate change or plastic pollution those things belong to Uh, should fall under the responsibility of the institution of the government like individuals can't do much you know but again like you think 422 kilometers is a lot or like 262 miles is a lot but you do one mile repeatedly Mm. over and over again you get that big distance it's nothing fancy it's nothing out of this world, mm-hmm. um, you have a hundred million people. Everyone reduce a little bit. Everyone uh, change their ways and sort and recycle. It makes a huge difference. So right now, like um, like per capita, um, each Vietnamese produce about four point seven um, kilos of plastic pollution, plastic waste that actually leak into the environment. So yeah, times it by a hundred millions, that's huge. So just, you know, find ways 
Um, don't leave it for others. Don't think it's other people's responsibility. We all need to be part of it. And so I think this challenge is, is, is way more difficult than any things that I have done. And I've, I've done a lot of difficult things, but I feel like this is a bigger challenge yeah. than any other yeah. um, previous challenges combined because it involved other people. It involved like, you know, really making a wide scale change. So yeah, I'm, I'm very nervous. I love how the, 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 I love how the philosophical side of the endurance athletics have creeped into the uh, eco-friendly uh, side of the way that you want to sort of see change in the world. Um, I want to um, tease out the next time you and I talk in Vietnamese. I want. Is it all right if you tease out the next episode, but say something in Vietnamese. So it's a two-pronged thing for me. It's first of all, I, I'd like to, you know, uh, introduce people to the next, you know, time that we speak, but I also want people to see how beautiful your language skills is in the, your, your native language. And because I just, you know, now I'm sitting here going, um, you know, we spoke continuously in English um, and you've articulated very well the journey that you've gone through but now i'd love to get some words in in vietnamese if you don't mind yeah um đối với thanh thì rất nhiều người nghĩ rằng là uh, những cái thách thức mà thanh làm trước đây rất là khó nó tưởng như là không thường uh, và không thể nhưng mà thực ra đối với thanh khi mà thanh uh, tiếp cận những cái thách thức đó thì thanh không bao giờ nghĩ về những cái con số khổng lồ như là một ngàn cây số hay là năm trăm hai mươi hai cây số hay hai trăm năm mươi cây số mà thanh sẽ chia nhỏ ra và thanh sẽ làm tốt nhất uh, những gì có thể để mà đạt được cái cột mốc rồi sau đó mình mới nghĩ tiếp từ cái cột mốc tiếp theo thì như vậy um, sẽ rất là dễ dàng hơn nhưng mà chúng ta nghĩ rằng là uh, chúng ta có thể uh, vượt qua được 10 cây hay không ok có thể vượt qua được 10 cây là sáu sáu dặm đó thì uh, vượt qua 10 cây đó rồi thì 10 cây tiếp theo tính 10 cây tiếp theo và à, thực ra thì đôi đôi khi mình mệt mỏi là mình à, kiệt quệ tới nỗi mà đôi khi mình chỉ cần phải tập trung vào một bước tiếp theo thôi đã có những lúc như vậy rồi mình tập trung vào từng bước từng bước từng bước một như vậy à, và à, thanh nghiệm ra rằng là những điều phi thường thực ra chỉ là những cái điều bình thường được lặp đi lặp lại một cách kiên trì À, và không bao giờ bỏ cuộc à, thì đối với thanh cái thách thức tiếp theo thì vẫn sẽ có những cái thách thức mang tính à, bền bỉ thì nhưng mà à, thách thức lớn nhất mà thanh nghĩ rằng tất cả chúng ta đều đang đối mặt với đó chính là à, biến đổi khí hậu và khi mà chúng ta đối mặt mặt với cái à, thách thức to lớn như vậy thì một lần nữa chúng ta chia nhỏ nó ra à, thanh sẽ cố gắng đóng góp để làm sao à, có thể giảm thiểu được à, ô nhiễm nhựa giảm thiểu được cái lượng nhựa dò dỉ ra môi trường và đem nó quay trở về với kinh tế tuần hoàn để tạo ra giá trị mới uh, cho cuộc sống cho cộng đồng và đấy cũng là một cái thách thức mà sắp tới thanh sẽ uh, đạp xe qua 28 tỉnh ven biển ở Việt Nam để uh, có thể uh, tăng cường nhận biết cũng như là uh, xây dựng hành vi và thói quen hoàn toàn mới uh, cho người dân Việt Nam để chúng ta có thể cùng nhau À, làm những điều điều bình thường ngày một tốt hơn và biến nó thành một cái kết quả phi thường. <cười>
Hôm nay Kenneth cảm ơn thành um, thank you so much. I really appreciate it and I look forward to the next time that we get back to the Vietnamese episode. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. It's my pleasure. Thank you for uh, spending the time with me. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trinh. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts.